0: What a wonderful song that last one was. Amen. Amen, yeah. Yeah, some weeks ago, months ago now probably, as we were looking toward this series, I asked Paul, I said, Paul, do you have a song that talks about the attributes of God? Because as we study... Psalms and Proverbs, we're going to talk about the attributes of God. And if God gets bigger in our hearts and our minds as we see him, as he really is, then our life just gets better because we recognize who he is. And he's like, I think I got the right song for that. Um, And there it is. So that song fits perfectly. I would say that's probably the theme song for this series, because if we get a bigger view of God, the rest of things kind of work out. And he is all those things. Um, And today I want to ask this question starting out. What does God think about you? Now, it sounds selfish a little bit. But part of my, you know, for me, my life, it's important to me what God thinks of me. And again, I know that sounds a little bit selfish, but we think about all these things God is, it's like, but what does he think of me? Is he so busy that I'm just in the peripheral, right? Or, or am I so messed up he's given up, right? And he's like, I'm going to focus on these people that have a little bit more going for him and let that one What does God think about me, A.W. Tozer, I love this quote, I've quoted it before, he said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And it's true. What comes to mind when you think about God. So what does come to mind when you think about God? Do you think of him as as a father? I I spoke to somebody in the past months who, when they were growing up, their their grandmother was really a, a godly woman, but her thing was, ooh, you don't want Jesus to see you doing that. Or don't do this because God wouldn't like it. And it was kind of a, a neg- more of a negative. Our religion is what the things of the don'ts. And is that God where he's looking up just like with a stern face? Or is he different? I want you to picture this with me. We're going to be in Psalm 1, so turn to Psalm 1. But I want you to picture this with me. Picture you're, you're in a den, uh, an office, you know, like grandpa's office. And, and you've gone in, and this is grandpa. Don't picture your grandpa. Picture like a perfect grandpa. Um, I mean, we're human, so I'm trying, this is like a, a God form, right? Uh, he's, he's tall, he's, he's you know, strong, built, one of those kind of got a powerful voice, a little bit imposing, but yet loving. And, and you go into his, his office, and it's a little bit dark. You know, I'm picturing there's a little fireplace and a couple chairs, and, and he lovingly you know, gives you a cup of hot chocolate, and you sit down, and, um, and you ask him. And again, this is actually God. You're sitting here with God, this figure, and you ask the question, what do you think of me? Or or what do you want for me? And then you see him sitting there, and like, this is the question I've been wanting you to ask, and I want to tell you what I want for you. We're going to see that in Psalm 1. Now, here's the thing about Psalms. The book of Psalms was written by several different authors. Moses wrote some. A guy named Asaph wrote some. Some others wrote some. David wrote most of them, a good number. And David, if you remember, he was that that king uh, the second or the third the second king of israel and their best king kind of the king that everybody looked back toward a man after god's own heart he's the one that as a boy 14 15 years old killed a giant with a sling because he's like my god is worth it this is him he played a harp so i mean he's a warrior but then he could play a harp like he's kind of a studly guy well he wrote a lot of the psalms uh and psalms are songs They were used in worship. The the Hebrew word for this book is praises. And so as we read through the Psalms and as we see, this is something often used in worship, and you'll see why. And we can use it in worship too, because it it asks questions and it answers questions about God that apply to our lives. So it's not selfish to go, God, what do you think of me? Because God wants us to know what he thinks of us, and he wants us to know what he has for us, and we're going to see that starting in Psalm chapter 1. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father in heaven, we come to you in in worship this morning. We come to you in these praises. And God, we want to get to know you better. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and and, and what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. We thank you that we can be saved, not by our own works, but because of your love and your sacrifice. And we ask that you would stir our hearts, God, that that we all come in here with with needs and hurts and and stresses and worries. And God, I ask that, that you would, through your Holy Spirit this morning, help us set those aside. And that we would just look at you. And that you would get bigger in our hearts, bigger in our minds. That as we look at you, the rest of the things in life would move to the peripheral and become fuzzy. And God, you would fill us with joy and peace. And God, uh, make it stick. Not something that just is here for an hour, but God, that we would go into this week loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, what is God's heart for you? Look at Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, blessed is the man. Let's stop right there. By the way, that word man means men and women. It's kind of like the word mankind. And I know that's not like culturally okay, but that's the way language works. Um, Mankind, men and women, blessed. What's the word blessed mean? Weird, it actually means happy. That word means happy. Happy because of God's favor. So happy. This is the first thing in your notes. God's desire is for you to be blessed. Do you hear that? God doesn't want you just to serve him. He does. God doesn't want a bunch of things from you. God wants you to be blessed. So again, picture sitting there with with Grandpa God, you know, right there, and you're saying, God, what do you want from me? He said, I want all good things for you. I want to bless you. That sounds good. I want to bless you, happy. And by the way, this is repeated in the New Testament. It's what we uh, pattern part of our mission statement after. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I said it before, that word life is not the word for biological life. That word for life is a different Greek word, zoe, which means a blessed life. It means a good life. It means a a happy life. And here, this is the same thing here. God desires us to be happy, blessed. Uh, A joyful disposition that's genuine. Think about that. Is that you, happy? Do you have a joyful disposition that's genuine. Have you ever known one of those people? They're just always optimistic, right? They're just the glasses half full type of person. You're riding with them in the car and their engine blows and they pull over and they're like, nice day for a walk. Don't you hate those people? (laughs) They get under your skin a little bit. Why? Because you want to be like that, right? If that annoys you, it's because there's a little bit of envy in you, like, I want to be like that. And guess what? God wants that for us, A joy despite circumstances, a real happiness. Now, part of this, you know, part of this blessing is physical. You look at verse three, it says, In all that he does, he prospers. So there is physical benefits to going God's way. We're going to see that as we continue through Psalms and Proverbs, that it will go better for us if we go God's way. But this blessed happiness, this joy based on God's favor in our lives, isn't just physical, and if it's dependent on the physical, it's messed up. It's not quite right. When I was 16, I got to go to the South Pacific um, on a missions trip. And so all us American teenagers, we go down there, and we were doing evangelism stuff. And if you could see the pictures, I had my makeup on. And yeah, anyway. Um, But when we went there, we got to hang out with the locals. And one guy in particular sticks out in my memory, but he represented the rest of the believers we met down there. His name was Coco. And he was either 50 or 80. Um, I I really couldn't tell. He didn't wear shoes. He had about three teeth. And I know because he was always smiling. Um, His clothes were kind of shabby. He lived in a little hut. uh, And we were staying in kind of this little compound type place. And he had a lot of jobs there. And one of them was to cook. And I remember waking up one morning right as the sun was coming up. And I'm hearing this chop, chop, chop. And and so I look out the window. And here comes Coco walking by with this big giant root over his shoulder, and that was lunch. He went and chopped that up for lunch, and this guy was just always happy. He didn't have anything. He he had Christ, and he was truly joyful and searching for ways to bless. He taught us how to do coconut stuff and whatever, but he was just enjoying life, and the rest were really that way. We went to church one day, and and we walked there because everybody walked. They didn't have cars, and we got there like, well, what time does church start? Like, when everybody gets here. Okay, But there was just this different, they were full of joy, and they had next to nothing. And then we come back to the States, and here we have our American Christians with all of our cars and all of our TVs and our air conditioning and all this stuff, and we're so blessed and worried and anxious and angry and selfish. And it's like, okay, this doesn't compare. The, the physical prosperity does not lead to the joy God wants to give. It helps. And there is some blessing in there physically, but this is a happiness that is at the heart level because of Him. This is in your notes. A blessed person is happy because they are the recipient of God's favor. The recipient of God's favor. Now, look, it says, Blessed is the man, verse 1 still. That man, that's singular. Blessed is the person, meaning you. We saw this last week when we looked at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is to you, not to the whole group of of God's people. This is to you individually. Blessed are you. God wants individuals to be blessed. And how does he do it? Verses 1 and 2 give kind of two sides to the same coin. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The first part, to receive God's favor, avoid sin and complicity with worldly people. That's the picture here. Again, imagine you're sitting there in that little den, the fire's going, and you're talking to God, And he says, I want you blessed. How do I do that? He says, here's the one thing. Do not hang out with this group. Here are some people you're hanging out with right now. They're leading you astray. Don't follow their counsel. I mean, that's one of God's initial advice. Don't pattern your life after the world, after the wicked. And he has several ways of saying it. He says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Walk, stand, sit. Kind of, It's this aspect of all of life. Don't do life with the ungodly. Now, at first, you're like, wait a minute, but we're supposed to be friends with non-believers. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why at Common Ground, we don't have a lot of programs because we want to be in real authentic relationships with those who don't know God yet. But there's a difference between a friendship and a place you go for counsel, a place where you're really sharing your, your deepest heart with somebody And walking through life together. And that's what he's saying. Remember Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. We saw this last week in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're not supposed to call people stupid or fools, but God can. And he says, those who walks this way with the ungodly, that is a foolish way of living. And God, in His love, tells us this. I want what's best for you, so do not follow the counsel of those who don't know me and don't love me. The determining factor in a blessed life is the source of counsel you follow. The source of counsel you follow. Who are your closest friends? Who are your confidants? Where do you go? When you have a decision to make, who informs those decisions? Who do you call? Or In in this day and age with internet, right, we have access to all kinds of information. Where do you go to get that information, to, to help pattern your life? Oprah, a lot of people do, right? Oprah, social media, we've got all this stuff out there. Where do you go to go, okay, this is what I want my life to look like? And anything that is not of God is going to want to draw you away from God and lead you in a way that's not best for you. Who are your counselors? Uh, Parents, we know this is true. Peer pressure is a real thing. One of the best things we can do as parents is help our kids have godly friends going in God's direction. And guess what? We adults, we're not much different. Peer pressure is a real thing. Do you struggle with getting drunk? Well, then do you hang out with people that get drunk? Stop it. Or at least stop it during those times, right, when you're tempted to go that way. Do you have people that encourage you to sin? Well, stop hanging out with them when they're encouraging you to sin. And if you're too weak to stand up against it, don't hang out with them at all for a while. Follow God's way. And that's what he says. There's the other side of it, right? Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but, verse 2, but instead delight in the law of the Lord. Delight in the law of the Lord. Again, you're sitting with God. You say, "What well, how do I live this blessed life? You want to bless me. How do I do it?" Well, don't hang out with the wicked who are going to counsel you incorrectly and lead you astray. Instead, come back here to this room every time you have a decision to make. Come back here and let's talk. When you start struggling with life, come back here. I'll tell you the right way to go. I'll help you do it. My door will always be open to you. You know, here it says, "You delight in the law of the Lord." In context, so this was written long before Jesus. And so this law is referring to to God's law laid out in the Mosaic law. And most of the moral commands in the Mosaic law, by the way, are repeated in the New Testament. And so God's moral law really hasn't changed. There are other laws that we're not bound by anymore. Ceremonial laws and, and, and sacrificial law, all these things. But God's law here, we could now post Jesus, say that talks about God's word. So the law, the word of God, we meditate on his word because here's the thing about his law, his rules. They're best for us. In the Old Testament, when God set out that law for his people, it's because he loved them and he wanted them to thrive and flourish. It was best for them. And those things, most of those are repeated in the New Testament because Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the best life is the way I designed it. I mean, he is the the cosmic engineer, he designed how all this works, and he knows the best way for us to live, and so he gives us rules, laws, commands, because he loves us, not because he is this stodgy, you know, third grade, I think of my third grade teacher who's just me, follow the rules, or you get, you know, beat. Uh, that's, that's not God. I love you, and so I'm going to put these rules, what's best for you. Good parents, you know this. Good parents set these rules for their kids for their flourishing. Sometimes in our bad moods, we do make rules for our benefit, but God does not do that. God makes these laws, these rules, for what's best for us. By delighting in God's word and dwelling on it, a wise person will experience God's favor and blessing. Meditate, you see that? He meditates on the word day and night. There's a time component here. You see that? meditate. Uh, That's the idea of of like a cow chewing the cud. You know, they they take a bite, they swallow, it goes into one stomach, comes back up, and they chew on it a little bit. Then it goes back down. Then they bring it back up, and they it's a little gross. But but that's the idea for us, that through our day, we're meditating on God's word. In here, what he's written is best for us, and so it's a joy, a delight for us to think about, God, you want what's best for me, and you've written it down, so I'm going to think about it. I'm going to chew on it. Day and night. Again, time component. Do you wake up in the morning and spend 10 minutes in the Word? Great. A little time in prayer? Great. Then go hop on social media for an hour? Or go log on to Fox News or CNN News, whatever your source is, that's going to fill your brain with stress and anxiety? See, you see this? I mean, I'm not saying hide from the world at all. We need to address the situations going on. We need to think about the worldly situations, but we need to think about them biblically. We need to think about them in a godly way, and so we're exposed to what's happening in the world, but it doesn't lead us to stress and worry and anxiety and, oh, woe is me. Instead, it leads us to the promises of God. Last week, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and we trust him. And so what's the situation? Maybe God's word says something about that, and we think about that. We meditate on it. Again, everybody's all worried. American Christians all stressed out about the government. and blah. Guess what? God knows. He knew what was happening, and his word says he sets up rulers, he tears them down, he's in complete control, and in the end, it all works out his way. And so for us, we go that, okay, peace. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should do the things we need to do to help even change things you know, for human flourishing. But for us, we don't meditate on the, the negative part of it. We meditate on God's word, and it changes our heart. It changes our life. That's why you can have somebody you know, again, their car breaks down, ruins their week. Somebody else, they get a cancer diagnosis and doesn't ruin their hour because they view it godly. You have this one, right? Oh, cancer diagnosis. Well, Wait a minute. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, so this is a, okay. Uh, God can do things through my pain for his glory. That's a good thing. There's just a different way of looking at everything, and you can have peace and joy in the midst of whatever circumstance, because we can trust God. That's what he wants. We delight in his law. That delight is helpful. We don't go to the word like, this is what we should do. God's going to you know, zap me if I don't. No, it's a joy to find out what he wants for us. It's a joy. Here's the point, and this isn't in your notes, so you should write it down. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. Know God's word. The more you know it, the quicker God can lead you his way of thinking about whatever circumstance you come up against. Do you need a picture of this? Well, look at verse 3. He, the blessed person, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. There's the picture. The person is like a tree next to a stream. The roots are in the water. The roots for us we are rooted in the word of God. That's the picture here. I was driving Elise to school this week, and we drove by some big poplar trees that were right by a stream, and they were huge. I mean, the things are probably 200 years old. Who knows? Giant, beautiful. I said, those are the same trees we planted in our yard. She's like, maybe ours will get that big someday. I said, nope, because those are right by the stream, and the roots are constantly getting water. Ours only get what we give them, and over the winter, Ours, like half the tree died. And so it's one of those, you know, like us, we're just trying to keep it alive. Whereas these over here, their roots are in what they need. That's the picture for us. Are we rooted in the word of God? Are we rooted in what he thinks? If so, we flourish. Our leaves get big and green, spiritually healthy. If we're not rooted in this, and maybe we're dabbling in the other ways of doing life and thinking, then we're not gonna be healthy and rich and and strong We're going to be spiritually weak. We're going to be tossed to and fro. We're going to be wandering. Or, as in here, it's chaff. The chaff. Look here, uh, verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, that's wheat, the threshing floor, back when they would do it all by hand. You know, they, they gather in their wheat. They take it to the threshing floor with it, and they, they pile it up and they grab it and crunch it somehow because in the middle is what you want. In the middle is the wheat. On the outside, is just kind of this loose chaff. And so you, you crunch it up like this and throw it in the air and the, it's so, oh, the chaff is so light that the breeze just blows it away. And then what lands back in your hand is the wheat that you need that you can go grind up and make your bread. This is the wicked or like the chaff, not the usable part, the chaff and just useless, wandering away. Have you ever asked this question when it comes to sin? Because what he's talking about here is a life of sin or a life of going God's way. Have you ever asked, how far is too far? Or, Or where's the line? This was a popular question people would ask when I was growing up. Where's the line? Especially with dating. How far is too far? What can I get away with? It's the wrong question. Because it's a question that doesn't understand the heart of God. It's like, okay, here's the line. And I must think things are really good on the other side because all these worldly people who don't have God are enjoying themselves. And so, but yet God's over here and I should follow him. So how close can I get to this line? And be like, Ooh, I'm still good. I'm still good, but stuff over here is good. So I kind of want that. It's the wrong question because God's law, God's commands are for our flourishing. So rather it's not how can I dabble? It's how can I go God's way? That is best for me. And that's what you see here. It is rooting in the water of his word, and living it or rather than living uh, by sinful, worldly counsel. Again, it's like chaff. Now, what's the difference? Look here. Wheat, and he's talking about a fruit tree. I used a poplar. But what does a fruit tree do? bears fruit. What is wheat supposed to do? Usable, right? The chaff part is not usable. Here's the point. The person living a blessed life rooted in God's word, will be a benefit and a blessing to others. That's the blessed life, a blessing to others. The fruit doesn't benefit the tree itself. It benefits others. That's the blessed life. 2 Corinthians 9 11 says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So you see back at verse 3, And all that he does, he prospers. God causes the godly person to prosper. Some of this will be physically, so that they prosper physically, so that they can use it for God's glory, share it, give it away, benefit God. It leads to thanksgiving of others. Is your life a blessing to others, or is it more of like a waste? I mean, you know, we asked this question some weeks ago, uh, as we looked at, how are you going to be remembered? You know, when you die and move on, how are you going to be remembered? Are you going to just kind of disappear? Or is the fruit that you bore going to keep bearing fruit through others? But then there's an end result. Look at verse 5. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The end result of a life of sin is eternity separated from God. So we're talking about the best life that God wants for us, but there's also eternal life. You realize this life is just the beginning. And there is a judgment that's coming. And so he's saying here, the one who lives by God's word, rooted there, is going to have a great life that results in eternity with him. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff. And it says here, they will perish. Standing in the judgment, this is the, a picture of st- when the judgment comes, standing approved by God, which we can do only because of the blood of Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross, his blood covers our sin when we by faith accept him as Lord. So we will stand in the judgment because he's already been judged for us. The wicked who do not accept Jesus but go the worldly way will not stand in the judgment, but they will receive the judgment that their sin has earned them. Although all they had to do was believe that Jesus died for them and rose again and bow to him, and then they could stand in the judgment also. But instead they reject him and the end of verse six, they perish The end result of a life of sin is eternity separated from God. But by the way, what is God's heart for you? That is not God's heart for anybody. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord desires none to perish but for all to come to repentance. That's God's heart. God's heart is that you would repent, that your neighbor would repent. By the way, cornhole tournament coming up next week. Bring a friend. No, seriously, here's the point of some of this. God's hardest for people to be saved. We do events like this so that we can connect, which is great. But we also do it so you can invite somebody who might want to play cornhole and then be exposed to these weird Christians that, wait a minute, they're not so weird after all. These, these people are actually normal and enjoying life in Christ. It's an opportunity because here's the thing. Most people will be connected to a Christian before they're connected to Christ. Most people will be drawn to some of God's people before they're drawn to God. This is an opportunity. So sign up and then invite a friend, and they can sign up next week when you show up. Because God's heart is for them to repent. How many people are in your life that they just need an invitation? They're just ready to hear, and God is trying to reach them, and maybe you are the one he wants to reach to share with them that they could repent and have life, that they could then root their life and flourish and bear fruit. That's exciting stuff. The result of walking rightly with God based on his word is blessing followed by eternity in heaven. Followed by eternity in heaven. This is God's heart. Now, we don't have time to get into the whole heaven thing, but it's not sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. It's eternity in something more like earth than less in a body where you eat and drink. We're going to be talking about this probably in the fall, Uh, but we have a wrong view of heaven a lot of times, and we don't really want to go there. I didn't want to go there as a kid. I'm like, I don't want to sit on a cloud. I don't want to be in church for eternity. It's not (laughs) like that at all, and then God made me a pastor. Um, (laughs) Eternity's going to be great, and that's what we have to look forward to. Again, what does it come down to, though? As we kind of wrap up, God's heart is for us, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is called grace. When we were still sinners, when we were still walking the way of the wicked, Christ died for us so that we could have life in him. He didn't wait for us to get our act cleaned up and be good. He died for us while we were still sinners. Everybody, Christ's death, is good enough for the sin of everybody. All it takes is repenting, turning to him, and accepting forgiveness and life. So as you make decisions, what's your source? Because that's kind of the theme here. The theme here is, is your source the word of God to lead to an abundant life God has for you, or is your source anything ungodly? And most sources out there are going to be ungodly. Just Google it and get rid of the first ten. Honestly, the sources out there are going to largely lead us astray, this is our source. This is why for us, youth group is so important. Groups are so important. A Sunday service is so important because we root ourselves in God's word together because we are together in this journey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you want what's best for us. God, I thank you that as we get to know you, it becomes easier to follow you because we know your, your rules, your law, your commands are not burdensome but rather they lead to our flourishing. They're best for us. And God, I I pray that you would get bigger, just as we prayed at the beginning, that you would get bigger in our hearts. God, that we would follow, we would root ourselves in your word and we would believe it and we would follow it and we would experience your blessing. God, I pray for the young people in here that they could avoid a lot of the mistakes some of us older ones have made by rooting themselves in your word early. And soaking in you and walking in a way that glorifies you, that they would be blessed, happy in you, and then bear fruit for you. God, we love you. We are excited for what you're doing. We look forward to what you're doing. And God, I pray that we would be quick to obey when we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move to worship, I want to draw your attention again to this, uh, this reading list. And it's on the outside as you go out there. You, you can grab one going out. Um, but it's read a proverb a day, one proverb a day. The the book of Proverbs is written so that you could walk wisely and experience God's blessing. And it's read some Psalms every day, the Psalms that we get to know the heart of God and fall deeper in love with Him. If you do this through the summer, I promise you, God will get bigger in your life and your issues will get smaller. I promise you, He will grow your joy because it's connected to Him. I'm going to be available up here as we worship. If you have not said yes to Jesus and you want to live this blessed life, not based on circumstances, come talk to me. If there's something else in your life that you'd like to pray for, uh, I'll be available. Let's worship.